Welcome to another edition of Anthony T's Hard on Wrestling Show. I'm Anthony T. In this edition, it's the best of 2022 episode. We've done the 5th Annual Horror Whammies. We've done the 5th Annual Horror Show Awards. Now it's the best of 2022, in which... Yours truly will be joined by Elizabeth Gray and Nathan Hamilton of Archivist's Bet on Sexy Witches as we will go over our top 10 films of 2022. That will be next segment. Then, in What's Anthony T. Watching? The last VS title. I know we're into February a little bit because it's been a rough month, but I promise you three VS title reviews, and this one is a classic horror film, everyone. Think of all the classic horror films VS has released over the past year that you never think they would release, and it's a film I have never seen for the first time. Yeah, I'm talking about the Amityville Horror. I will talk about that film and my thoughts. I know, I have not seen the Amityville Horror. It took me years to see The Exorcist for the first time. It took me years to see The Omen for the first time. Now, I am seeing the Amityville Horror for the first time. The original not the remake, everyone. That will be at the end of the podcast. But before we get to the best of 2022 list, yours truly has to recap what he chose as his top 10 films of 2021. At number 10, the horror documentary Clap. Board Jungle. Number 9, Fear Street 1978. Number 8, Prisoners of the Ghost Land. Number 7, Thou. Number 6, The Amusement Park. Number 5, St. Maud. Number 4, The Last Matinee. Number 3, Censor. Number 2, The Stylist. And the best film of 2021, number 1, Malignant. That was my top 10 films of 2021. When I come back, I will be joined by Elizabeth Gray and Nathan Hamilton of Archivist Bet on Sexy Witches as we will talk about the top 10 films of 2022. Dark Discussions, your place for the discussion of horror film, fiction, and all that's fantastic. A weekly podcast here, the discussion is about the most recent horror and genre films. Intelligent talk on a genre that deserves intelligence. A conversation between co-hosts discussing not only the films, but also the connotation that the directors and screenwriters are trying to articulate. If you want more than a review, listen to Dark Discussions. 
Speaking of perception, there's just one more scene I want to talk about, which is after Caleb discovers that Kyoto's a robot, Kyoto kind of peels off her skin, showing him what's underneath. Now, wait a minute. I know where you're going with this, but tell me you weren't already thinking this 15 minutes earlier in the film. Exactly what he's thinking at that moment. Which is he's a robot, too. Oh, I considered the possibility. Right, and that's what I like, is the fact that the writers were smart enough to know that this is what the audience would be thinking. We've all seen Blade Runner. <laughs> right, exactly. www.darkdiscussions.com Wherever podcasts are found. Welcome back to Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling Show. It is the best of 2022 list. I do it every year on my podcast where I always bring a fellow podcaster or two to the program to chat about the year that was in horror. This year, I'm bringing on, for the first time to my podcast, Elizabeth Gray from Archivist Bet on Sexy Witches. How are you doing today, Elizabeth? Hello. Thank you for being, uh, we've been a long time friend, but thank you for, this is the first time I've been on your show, so I'm pretty excited. I appreciate it. Yeah, I've always tried to, wanted to get you on my podcast, but just haven't had the topic to do it. But this is, I think, the perfect time to do it. I mean, uh, you know, I'm I'm a sucker for 2022, uh, like, best of lists. As you know, I do on Facebook. I share everybody's lists and call it Listomania. So, I, I, I'm, you know, uh, this is this is my time of year. Now, before we get going with our top ten lists, I do have a couple of questions. Uh-oh. First okay. question... Worst film of 2022. <sighs> Worst film of 2022. Um, there's two that come to mind. The one that, and I know you're going to disagree on this because I saw your review. Um, I really dislike The Invitation. Um, I, I, I tried to like it. I think it's pretty. And the actors, I can't say anything against them, but I think it kind of fell flat for me. Um, there's also uh, what something about like we're going to the world's fair that was what my um my co my co-host nathan hamilton said uh i was really i like found i like the whole new internet horror subgenre that's been popping up matter of fact one will make my top 10 um when we get there but that one just fell flat for me oh you're gonna hear how much i like that film you liked it too Oh, I'll be talking about that, <laughs> uh, but I'll that, save that for later. That, oh, oh, see, like, but I, I knew that you liked both those films, but I didn't realize how much you liked World's Fair. But, you know, I actually think if those were the worst films of the year of in horror, we had a pretty solid friggin' year for horror. Uh, horror was really good in 2022. Now, I don't know if you'll disagree with mine, but... First one is Halloween Ends, which I'm not going to spend any more time talking about on my podcast. <laughs> um, I call that a misfire. I didn't hate it, but I think if they put it at the top of the trilogy and not the end and did some little rewriting, it would have worked better. 
because I think it's really a metaphor and it just doesn't work. I, I don't think it was the the film that a trilogy should complete, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. They, they, they promised us all this great stuff and then they didn't deliver at all. It just was like, that third act was just atrocious. It's like the worst third act I've seen since The Predator. When you have a bunch of kill scenes all bunched up at one after another, you know the film is being rushed. I just didn't... This. Plus, I got on the Corey Cunningham meme, meme train this year. Had to do that fake trailer of Cunningham. <laughs> That's... Uh, how bad this film was. And another one was another popular franchise. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. See, I haven't seen that one, but I can tell you my co-host, Tennessee will actually defend that movie. But I haven't actually seen it. I haven't seen that. I didn't even bother with the Resident Evil series. I kind of stayed away from that. Only lasted like two, three episodes on Resident Evil, then gave up. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, probably oh. the col most collection of annoying characters you'll ever meet. So, you know, once again, though, if those were the worst in horror in 2022, I think we were pretty lucky. Yeah. I, now, there were some solid, good films, and there were even triumphs. Like 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 Cinderella stories this year in horror, uh, and I'll definitely talk about one of those on my top ten. So. Yeah, I'll talk about one of those too. I think it would. I think might, we might be talking about the same film. Oh yeah. <laughs> you may deal with a certain clown. Oh, I just may talk about a certain clown. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, excellent. Um, uh, then quickly. What films missed your top ten? What films missed my top ten? Uh, let me mention the films that I didn't get to see um, that would have affected this list possibly that I'm still watching. Because I'm still watching for my best of for my show. Um, I haven't seen Horror, um, House of Darkness, Dashcam, or You Won't Be Alone. Um, those films could affect my list. Uh just out of the top ten, I have um, The Curse, which I mentioned to you. I just saw that recently, a period piece that spins the werewolf story into more of a demon story, and I kind of dug that. Um, and then I want to give a shout-out to Christmas Bloody Christmas. Not that it was great, but boy, was that just fun. Fun and silly, and it was my favorite holiday watch this year. Yeah, those are also two of my films that missed the list. Also, I can include David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future. That barely missed the list. That and Gaspar Noe's Lux Antenna. Yeah, I haven't seen uh, Gaspar Noe's new film yet. Uh, I have it in my queue, but I haven't seen it yet. That's another one that I need to watch. He's so. had a very interesting year. A lot of directors have had a really interesting year. Yes. <laughs> I mean, come on. And there's directors that I don't normally like that actually released films that were not only hits, but films I actually liked. And, and, and same with Miss 
like my my co-worker my co-host on my show would say the same thing so um <laughs> now this year i had rules to my list so i don't get many superhero films with the exception of horror adjacent ones obviously yeah, I would say Doctor Strange also just missed my list. All right, uh, Elizabeth, why don't you start off at number ten? You want me to go ahead and go ahead and start? All right. Yes. Number ten for me is the movie Hatching. I uh, there was a really strong contingent of female-based horror this year, and especially about. Uh, first of all, there was some reason about, uh, you know, white dudes attacking chicks. That was a huge, huge theme this year we could go into. But um, the one that I, I liked hatching because it was this whole subgenre of, of about motherhood recently and and how like and this movie reflects kind of like what I'm going through right now. My daughter is turning. Uh, well, she's no longer my daughter. She is now non-binary. She came out of the closet. They are 13. So the movie Hatching is about the loss of your innocent, beautiful child and how they're evolving into their own person and the horror that can go with that. And I really enjoyed that theme that was going on in Hatching. It also has a lot of gore and the monster creature effects are unusual. Like, it's not a monster you would normally see in a movie. And I really enjoyed the crap out of that movie. And I thought the ending was really strong, which a lot of horror films I love are great films. Like, I Can Come to Sinister is a good example. But it doesn't stick the landing. Horror films don't always stick the landing. This movie kind of stuck the landing. And I really appreciated that. My number 10 is a Marvel film. <laughs> now, there was a lot of Marvel this year. I have not seen the Black Panther film yet, but neither have I. I'm waiting for Disney Plus on that, since it's kind of going to be there on the service as a re- recording. So I will be catching it on Disney Plus. But the best thing I saw out of Marvel, out of everything, was. A film that had no business being very good, considering it was announced a month in advance. Werewolf by Night. One of the things I really liked about this film was this felt like an old school film. Like in the vein of the Universal Monsters with the look of the film. I also liked the fact that they used the red color... For the stone that really added something to it. The performances in that film were very good. The action was great as it had a comic book feel to it. Of course, Man-Thing was great too. And it has really good cinematography before adding that black and white transfer. That really made this a very entertaining film. I'm not a, the Marvel audience, if that makes any sense. I'm a DC girl, but I do appreciate Marvel movies. I do go see them, but you know, I I, I would I would be really rare, it's rare that a Marvel film will make my top ten. 
Uh, I think the exception was Thor Ragnarok. It made my top ten, but once again, that movie is more of a comedy, and it's you know what it's uh, you know Wakia Takiti, you know, so it's a little bit. Then it's, you know, Doctor Strange is Sam Raimi, so I'm gonna love it just because it obviously was such a Sam Raimi movie. Um, but it might make my top twenty. I was actually surprised about Doctor Strange that it uh, could have gotten an R rating. For it was the <laughs> it was very close to an R rating. It was close, but it didn't quite go over R rating. You know, it uses f bombs in the right way, and it has a very gory scene too in it. Mm-hmm. It does. So, I, I I was pleased. I saw that. That's one of the few films that I saw twice in the theater um, this year, and the first time was just a regular screening with my uh, with my uh, evil genius, and then uh, Nathan and I went and saw it in three D. All right, Deadstream is my number nine. Um, Deadstream, I, I like I said, I, I'm kind of digging the whole like internet horror. Like I liked both, um, you know, both the what was the name of the movies? Oh my god, I'm blanking on them right now. Not you know the the. We're going the dark... to the World's Fair. I know. No, that I didn't. The... I did like that one. That was the exception. Uh, but you know the the original the the one with the girls and the suicide and uh, Dark Web. Is the sequel? I like both of those movies. I can't think of them. Huh? Unfriend, unfriended. Unfriended, yeah. Unfriended. Um, um, I, and I've actually produced a movie um, called Live Screamers Two, which comes out in 2023, um, which is a sequel to Live Screamers, which is a uh, a fake YouTube live uh, live streaming feed of a video game. Uh, so I really like that, and I thought Deadstream was one of the better one of those films out there right now. And and as a found footage film, it was fun. It played on the haunted house tropes really well. Um, it had a little bit of body horror for good measure in there, and the acting was good. And I was really surprised how much I enjoyed Deadstream. Yeah, that was a good film. Should have had some really good films this year. Yeah, I mean, really, uh, that subgenre, I think, is coming into its own, and I really, you know, I, I can't wait to see what more people do with it, and I'm really excited to see what my own film's going to look like when it's finished, so. Okay, I'm going to move to my number nine. Number nine. It was a nine. film that fell under the radar when it hit theaters this year. It's more of a psychological thriller you could say probably borderline horror since it's psychological and everything. Fall. Fall. I saw Fall. Now, this film, to me, felt like a film called Open Water, which... It's I, very much so. Very much that's so. That's what I felt like when I was watching that film. Instead of the ocean, you had a uh, satellite t tower. Uh, an old, uh, actually, it was an old radio tower, what, 2,000 feet tall, I think, in the movie. Uh, <laughs> either way, um, I, I actually did not make my top 10, but it, it actually might make my top 20. I, you know, I have a little bit of claustrophobia, not I'm afraid of small spaces. I used to be a caver. Um, it's not being able to go anywhere. And when you're on a tower like that, there's nowhere to go. Right, so that freaks me out. Yeah, the film ha had a great screenplay, especially that third act where I was shocked. 
Uh, you know the spoilers where uh, spoiler alert where where the guy actually steals her truck is one of the funniest moments in a movie in 2022. Yeah, but at least the third act has a very good twist. I'll go into more spoilers. You're buying this relationship between these two friends, and it is and the acting that was very good, and you get this shocking twist that one of them is dead. It's like what the I said what the bleep yeah um your brain though supposedly when you're in a situation like that your brain does do things like that it tricks you into thinking it's a coping mechanism uh so like um i was thinking about that was that that jason frank movie where he gets his arm caught based on the real guy and they had to you know cut it off and everything he talks about um, the the guy that the movie was based on says that he that all those hallucinations really do happen when you're stuck in a situation like that. It has very good performances from Grace Caroline Curry from the Shazam films, mm-hmm. and Virginia Garner from David Gordon Green's Halloween. As I think both of those actresses did a great job keeping you interested in the material and the way they approached their performances because this film is mostly a two-person film and for a film to succeed like that you need the performances to be great and and likable and likable yeah because horror films you can have a great performance and the character might not be likable film also has a solid supporting performance from jeffrey dean morgan as well fall is my number nine film excellent uh, I, I like I said, didn't make my top ten, but I totally uh, validate that you have that on your top ten because it was fun. So it was like one of the last films I watched of the year. Eight is a sentimental favorite. Not only did I think it was a really fun movie and good, um, it also was one of my favorite film geeks. Was the director? Her name is Rebecca McKendry. Um, and this would be uh, Glorious with uh, Ryan Quaddle and J.K. Simmons. And, um, you know, I think it's the example of how a COVID movie can work uh, because it takes place mostly in a bathroom in a park. And on one stall, you have Ryan Quaddle playing a human and J.K. Simmons is doing the voice work of an elder god on the other side. And I won't go into it more because there's a lot of plots and twists, but Glorious was fun. It was absolutely good. Um, The voice work, you know, not having a main character be a presence in the film um, physically is a a risk. And J.K. Simmons' voice work totally counteracts that. The plot is fun. The twist is fun. The color schemes are fun. And shout out to Rebecca McKendry for making a hit film. It was also written by a friend of mine, uh, Joshua Hall, who was on my show this year. Now, Glorious is great. If you give Jake I'm sorry, Jake Hall. I'm sorry, not Joshua Hall. I I apologize, Jake. Okay. (laughs) Go ahead. If J.K. Simmons is in your film and you have a very good script, chances are it's going to be a, a very good film. Um, because for- J.K. Simmons can do anything. Yep. Even in a bad film, he can stand out. 
he he really took the the ball and elevated this this film from what could have been a really low budget film to actually a contender for my top ten this year. Um, so much fun, so much fun. Mr. Anthony, go ahead and read your your seven, uh, and and go ahead and um, I just found out if I move, um, we can have a guest come in. Okay. So hold on just a moment. I'll go into my number eight film. Yep, please. And it's a film that you mentioned already. <laughs> That's one of your worst films of the year. We're all going I to the world <laughs> fair. Another uh -huh. film that features two people for the entire time. <laughs> well, that part's not so bad. I just love the direction in this film as this film really felt like a David Cronenberg-ish type of film it was something that you probably would have seen him done in, in, in early in his career it has a really good lead performance I like how the screenplay really focuses on the main character and all the psychological aspects that makes the horror aspects work very well as this character is so obsessed and is descending into madness, all because of a, the internet. It really was a very interesting character study type of film. It's definitely worth checking out. Okay, so we're at number seven. Number seven. Okay, I actually ended up flipping these two and I I couldn't honestly I have to put two films I have a tie at number seven that's because I I saw these films kind of back to back so I almost kind of equate them as together um and they would be a uh, smile and barbarian um uh, a smile I was very surprised a lot there's there's a lot of like um controversy with smile some people really like it some people don't uh, as a person who really likes uh, stories about mental illness I actually thought it was pretty darn good and Barbarian was it's funny because it had my favorite trailer of the year because a trailer gave absolutely nothing away and I really appreciated that and I actually thought the film was so well acted and so well executed um, both those films were not, like, amazing, but they were solid horror films, and I think we're going to be talking about them for years. Smile, I liked I did. Smile, but I had one problem with it. I felt it was too long. I thought it could have been trimmed down a little bit. It just got boring at, at times. But with Barbarian, it just took, and it's another good film. As I have Barbarian in my top 20, but with Barbarian, it took a while to get into that film. But once I got into that film, it was great. So, now my number seven is a reboot of a popular horror franchise. Definitely one of the films I've been looking forward to. Hellraiser. Hellraiser. How did you like it? I think it's very good. A very gothic one of the things I liked about this was the fact it was a very gothic remake of the original. And it didn't go, like, try to copy the original and try to tell its own story. David Bruckner did a great job 
capturing the dread <clears throat> and gothic elements that made the first two films very good. Whether he handles the dialogue scenes to the action, it had a very dark and gothic feel to it. I also loved the casting of Pinhead here, as Jamie Clayton was great as Pinhead. She really brought a different perspective to the character, and it's probably the best Pinhead since Doug Bradley, which isn't saying much. There's only been two. Uh, guess what? Um, we do have a special guest that just called in. Maybe they can catch up. I know that Hellraiser's on their list, too, actually. So um, you want to welcome him to the show, or do you want me to welcome him to the show? I'll welcome him to the show. Excellent. He, he is also from Archivist Bet on Sexy Witches, Nathan Hamilton. Welcome. Can you finally hear me? Yes. <laughs> oh my god we, for, for those of you listening um, We have been facing technical difficulties For the last little while But oh my god it feels so good to be on the show Hello ladies, gentlemen, everything in between I am so glad to be talking to you And it looks like I got a little catching up to do Okay well We're at number 7 We're at so. number 7 so Okay well first of all I need to give you my ones that didn't quite make the list Okay Which I'll go through them real quick Number 1 I have a few uh, hatching, which my uh, co-host there mentioned, is one of them. The Adult Swim Yule Log oh, yeah. was one of my uh, honorable mentions. The Sadness was one of my honorable mentions. And one thing I wanted to mention, because I did not take... With Anthony, when you sent us the uh, criteria, you said anything over 40 minutes but I had to disqualify an entire series because it would have screwed up my entire list. And that's the cabinet of curiosities because there were three episodes on that, which would have been on my list and I couldn't let one series take up three spots on the list. But the autopsy, the viewing and the outside were all fantastic. Okay, what were you? We were on number seven. Quickly go through ten through seven on your list. Okay, number ten on my list is Werewolf by Night. The only reason it is all the way down at number ten is because it was not feature length. Had it been feature length, it probably would have been number three. Nathan, <laughs> I had Werewolf by Night at ten too. Nice. Hey, great minds think alike, right? Um, here's another one that I just heard you guys talking about. My number nine is Hellraiser. I thought that the new Cenobite uh, designs were very interesting, but what I thought the best thing about that movie was what they added to the lore of the actual puzzle box. Adding the new configurations to it and adding different properties to it than were in the original series I thought was just brilliant. Uh, number eight was a movie that I kind of feel like I'm on an island over here because nobody else is mentioning this movie. And it's a movie called Who Invited Them? <laughs> Came on Shutter. No one else seems to have even heard of this flick. But it reminded me kind of of, like, Cheap Thrills meets Funny Games, kind of. Yeah, I was going to say Cheap Thrills meet Strangers, but yeah. the same idea. Yeah, yeah. basically, uh, but, uh, some people throw a party. One of the couples, uh, you know, they think everyone's gone. 
and they realize this one couple is still there, and then the rest of the night unfolds very interesting between these four characters. I don't want to say any more than that, but man, that one has really been an unsung one this year, is who invited them. Yeah, I saw that one. What'd you think of it? It was okay. Yeah. And do you want me to do number seven, or... Yeah, number seven, yes. Am I caught up? Yeah. My number seven was a film called Glorious. Has that one been mentioned yet? Yeah, I was. It was my number eight. Uh, my number eight. Man, that one—that was brilliant. That—that's how you have a Lovecraftian eldritch god in your movie without having to show it. That's brilliant. <laughs> but that was—that had some of the funniest moments of any movie this year as well. Okay. I think we're we're, we're caught, caught up. up. Hell yeah! Hell yeah! I'm a. I am nothing if not efficient. <laughs> So should I go ahead and continue, and we'll do the round robin, you, Anthony, and then Nathan, since he's late, or should be you, Nathan, and you? You, Nathan, then me. Okay, great. So I will go number six. Number six, I know, is going to be probably higher on other people's lists, and I know I've seen it on a lot of all-times lists, but my number six is The Menu with Ray Fiennes and Anya Taylor-Joy. The only reason why it's not going into my top five is because I don't think about it as much as some of the other films. But I will tell you, I was at a wedding a couple days ago, and one of the topics of conversation was the menu. So many people were talking about it, and I really appreciated that. I thought Ray Fiennes' performance was amazing. The score was one of my favorite scores of the year. Um, Cinematography is good, and the performance is all around really fun. Um, and um, I really enjoyed the whole, like, bourgeoisie, uh, you know, eat the rich, literally, um, vibe to the whole thing. I'm, I'm going to preface it by also saying my number six is going to be a movie that I, is probably going to be a lot higher on a lot of people's list this year. But there's just so much good stuff this year. My number six is Barbarian. Which was my number seven. I tied I, it with Smile. My favorite thing about Barbarian, and we... Elizabeth and I discuss this all the time, and Anthony, I'm sure you'll agree. Movie trailers give away way too much these days. Yes. My, oh, my God. Smile, for instance, gave away its best scare in the trailer. Like, a lot of movies this year did that. Barbarian, I watched the trailer, and I'm like, oh, okay, I see what this movie's going to be. It should be pretty cool. And then everything in the trailer proceeded to happen in the first half hour of the movie. And from then on, I had no idea where it was going. And I absolutely love that approach. And it ended up being a really good movie. My number six will play a little game. He directed a film. play a game. (laughs) Okay, he directed a film. He executive produced a film. And he was a leading man in a film this year. Any guesses? Hmm. Hmm. Who has an ego that big? (laughs) I mean, it, I'm kind of stumped on this one. Yeah, me too, actually. Dario Argento. Oh, Argento! My, my, my. Dario Argento executive produced a film called She Will, and he starred in Gaspar Noe's Vortex. Ah. Which that got is, released this year. That Vortex is very high on my need to watch list. Yeah, he's very good in Vortex. Nice. But my number six film is not Vortex, as that's more drama. My number six film is his latest film, Dark Glasses, 
is, I think, his best film since Opera, which probably isn't Ooh. saying much. But it's also encouraging. Yes, it is, because first of all, it's more low-scaled. It's not this big production. It's definitely not Dracula 3D, which is a guilty pleasure film. As I think he returns to the Jale filmmaking. Argento really does a great job with the way he directs the action in this film, as it really does build tension, whether it's in his direction or the screenplay that he co-wrote. He doesn't give you that clear motive to why the killer is stalking this prostitute and killing off prostitutes. And he really also does a great job focusing on the main character who is a prostitute and is blind. And it's being stalked by this deranged killer. The film also has a very good score, which is a must for Italian horror films. Let's face it. One of the things you need for an Italian horror film is a great score. And this was an Italian horror film. As his daughter was also in the film in a supporting role as well. She was very good. And they also had a great lead performance as well. And that can be found on Shudder. I am so incredibly glad to hear that it was good. I have been very hesitant to watch it for the same reason I'm hesitant to listen to Metallica albums. Because I love their work in the past, but they haven't put out anything good in a while. And I really, really want to like it, but I'm afraid I wouldn't. But since you, since it's that high on your list, I'm going to go watch Dark Glasses, man. Thank you. You're welcome. Oh, number five. Now, um... I was actually really surprised how far, how high up on the list this actually came. But when it comes to straight up, like, apocalypse, zombie, you know, movies, I mean, come on, it's Korea. Korea has has the ball and runs with it. And the sadness is, I think it's Korean, right? Is it Korean or is it Japan? I forget. It's Korean. It is Korean. I was right. First time. I got, I got a second guess. Uh, but Korea uh, is the sadness to me was as a straight up zombie picture, like not necessarily plot wise anything new to the table, but visually and 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 emotionally, I thought the sadness was well executed, and the gore was some of the best of the year. It had some of the biggest like horrible. Oh my god, did I just watch him do that moments in the film? So the straight up gore zombie, it's not even zombies. I don't think that's fair. It's more like the rage virus from the 28 days uh, 28 days later. Uh, it, it's more like that. Uh, you know, a lot of people following on their ids. Uh, you know, it, 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 it actually ended up like, it stuck with me for quite a long time. And I, I actually think it's going to be an unrated gem in the future. Um, I, I just want to mention one thing about um, the sadness, which I loved as well. It was one of my honorable mentions. If anyone out there is familiar with a comic book called Crossed that was written by Garth Ennis, this, obviously, you can't go that far in any movie because, you, you know, for reasons. But it reminded me a lot of the feeling of that. So if you dug that, you'll dig the sadness. My number five... Was And there was a surprising current of cannibalism going through a lot of movies this year. We saw yeah, that was. creep up a lot. 
And the movie that probably did it best is my number five, which is Fresh. Uh Uh-huh. Fresh was a really good flick. And it takes a, a, a subject like cannibalism, which is often done very hardcore horror, very Texas Chainsaw Massacre-ish, and did it in a almost a cold clinical way that's even more chilling. And Sebastian Stan is horrifying in this movie. I mean, like, like I say, it's, it's the year of rich middle-aged white guys attacking people in movies. And he might have been the creepiest one of the year. For real, he's awesome in this movie. I highly recommend Fresh like to anyone. This is just a straight-up great horror movie. My number five film is from a director that probably took the biggest gamble in 2022. I'm talking about Scott Dickerson, who walked away from Doctor Strange to go on his own and make The Black Phone. That film was very gritty. From the opening credit sequence to the end... It had this really gritty, dark tone that felt very disturbing at times with the whole abduction thing going on, which the main villain is kidnapping kids. And he kidnaps one of these kids. He locks him up in the basement. And you get a mysterious black phone ringing. And you have all these dead kids calling I like how the fact that they don't go into anything about the main villain. You don't want to know anything about this guy. By not knowing anything, it made the guy very frightening. There is this scene in this film that I like where this kid was about ready to go up the stairs. And Ethan Hawke was just sitting there, frightening, waiting for this kid to come up. It was just a frightening visual. That was the best moment of the movie. And Ethan Hawke is phenomenal in this film. Who thought he could play a villain? Because I think this is like that and Moon Knight were the first times he's ever played a villain. As usually he's played the good guy in many of these films. Dickerson does a great job also with the way he directs the main kids in this film. Because... Those main kids looked like pros. And that's really what ultimately helped this film be very good. Because kid actors can be hard to deal with. But Dickerson really does a great job directing the two main kid actors in the film. As it really made it a very good film. And it's very hard to pull off. These child abduction horror films, especially when you're dealing with kid actors and the fact that the material can be material that might not play well with certain people. But Dickerson, I think, does a great job with the way he moves the action along and the fact that the script does a great job with focusing on its story and its characters throughout. Number four. Um, Number four is my favorite of the COVID era movies because there was a whole swath of films, horror and otherwise, that were just one or two people in a room. 
Um, and you know, that was it. And, um, matter of fact, uh, last night we saw Skinnamarink, which was literally a COVID film, uh, <laughs> like waterproof people total on camera, if that, um, but in 2022, uh, one of my favorite is also my biggest surprise of the year, um, was a little movie called Hellbander by the group called the, uh, a family, uh, called the Adams family. Oh, I've heard of them. Yeah. Not that, not that Adams family. No, I, I know we, not that Adams family. First the all, other Adams family. Yeah, no, the, the, the filmmaking Adams family, uh, First of all, there's exactly 16 people total in the movie, and, and most times it's just uh, mom and the daughter. That's it, um, real, in real life and in, on, the, on camera. Uh, the next thing is, uh, uh, first of all, they did it by driving over, um, over I think it was like a year or so. Um, during COVID in a trailer and they shot it mostly in national parks uh, where you don't need permits to shoot um, and, um, you know, borrowed a house here and there. Um, absolutely well executed. Um, great folk horror, great witch lore, added some new stuff to the witch lore, which was cool. And uh, it, I really enjoyed the crap out of Hellbender. Um, it was my favorite folk horror of the year. Yeah, I, Hellbender was very good. And for a time, that was on my list of the top ten. Until everything just exploded. Because it's just such great content this year that it really got lost in the shuffle. They've also done a really another good film called The Deeper You Dig. I'm really surprised how well Hellbender came out, like, I think in February of last year or so. And I was really surprised how it clung on to me all the way to the end. A lot of Shudder films were mentioning. Mm-hmm. Well, I have a Shudder account. I love Shudder. Me too. I will defend Shudder to the death. Dude, they actually, let's see, Glorious was a Shudder original. Yep. Who Invited Them was, a, I believe, was a Shudder original. Like, yep. a lot of my top ten, I, I watched was. on Shudder. Deadstream was. Uh, <laughs> Dark so. Glasses. Mm-hmm. Dark Glasses was. Yeah, no, I guess. Uh, sh- so the real winner of the top ten this year is Shudder. Oh, my God, my number one is Shudder. <laughs> but we'll get there. A word about Hellbender. I thought it was good, but Hellbender is like a few independent films that I've seen a lot. I like, I love the story about how it was made more than I love the actual movie, which that, that tends to happen every now and then. But number four, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on because you guys have mentioned it before, but it had one of the best ensemble casts I've seen in forever, and I'm a big fan of trapping an ensemble cast in one location and just letting it play out, and this one did that to perfection, and that was the menu. I'll move on to my number four. Now, this is a film that I really, at the beginning of the year, had no interest in wanting to see. Because the last film in this series let me down so much that I vowed i never watch another film in this series again. <laughs> but then Comic-Con came, and it got a standing ovation. So it... Got my interest again. And I decided to watch it. I'm talking about Prey. 
Prey. <laughs> okay. The Predator sequel. It, it's just amazing how this franchise, after the last film, looked like it was dead. Then Prey comes along and really gives this franchise a shot in the eye because literally this is probably the best sequel of all the Predator films. Director Dan Trachenberg does a really good job with the way he directs this film. If you don't know him, he directed the film 10 Cloverfield Lane back in 2016. Which was excellent. It's amazing he doesn't get much work. Because he's a very talented director. And he proved it again in Prey. He makes this probably one of the most brutal Predator films to date. Brutal kill scenes. He does a great job focusing on his main character and the struggles that she goes through in trying to go through a rite of passage. And also it features a very good performance by Amber Mid-Thunder. Considering this film had like two versions. One in English and I believe one native. It was Comanche. Comanche. Yes, it was Comanche. And this was a Hulu film, too, like Hellraiser. It's just amazing. Yeah. Hulu really put out some good horror this year. And they're not known for good horror. Yeah, but they also put out We're All Going to the World's Fair. So. <laughs> no, that was Utopia. Uh -huh. <laughs> Actually, Utopia put that out. It did get a yeah. home release before. One of the interesting things about a Comanche, um, the storyline, is Comanches are very patriarchal in their... Uh, in their, you know, their tribal ways. And so that the, the storyline, I called it the Disney princess of horror films because, you know, it's the, the young ingenue girl coming up to fight the evil wickedness, right? But that, if, that she had to prove herself in that environment was actually even three times as difficult because they were Comanche. Okay, let's move on to number three. Number three. Um... I know, I know this is going to come up on both your lists. I was really surprised how high this rated on my list on so many levels, but partly it's on this high on my list because it was my peeps making a movie. Uh, Justin Filium, Elliot Filium of, of uh, punk, Little Punk People, Steve Barton of Fangoria, who came on my show as a producer, and all around, just old school. Slasher gore, best gore of the year, by far, Terrifier 2. And you guys, I mean, I don't even have to say more. Uh, it was also, that it was shot in a actual, like, haunted walkthrough also makes me happy. But, guys, I'm going to throw it to you, because obviously you both have it in your top three. So what, what, what do you love about Terrifier? I'll get to that later. <laughs> okay. I'll get to that after Nathan. Okay, so um, so I guess we'll hold on to that, but Terrifier 2, also I want to say, best synth score of the year. So. Oh, God, uh, that, o that opening number is my favorite song from any movie this year at all. Ah, excellent. So, okay, so Nathan, go ahead and do your number three, because I know Terrifier 2 is going to be in your one or two. Okay, I I have to take a drink before I do number three. So, I just, but since I know you're both wrestling fans, I'm going to take this drink, I want to... I'm going to date the podcast, which I know is a cardinal sin, but here's to Jay Briscoe. Jay Briscoe. Jay Briscoe. I'm still okay, reeling one, from that. One of the 
big stories of horror in 2022 for me was filmmakers I don't like making movies I do like. Like, that was shocking to me. Like, I do not like, and I'm going to get hate for this, I know. I don't like Jordan Peele's movies in general. I didn't like Get Out, I didn't like Us. Nope was awesome. That was one of my uh, honorable mentions. Anthony, am I allowed to curse on this podcast? No. Okay, then I will not. (laughs) But I have a very hate-hate relationship with Ty West. Yeah, I, I don't like Ty West. It gets all. personal. It, 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 it is personal in the case of Ty West. But I, I'm kind of going to cheat here because I'm kind of using two movies together. But my number three is X. X was fantastic. Like, X, Ty West finally made a movie I really dug. And I'm kind of counting Pearl in the same thing. I don't think Pearl was as good Pearl was a good movie that was elevated to really good by a great performance by Mia Goth, but X was just all around a great movie. The, the, the shot composition in this movie is outstanding. The pacing, the script, the performances, everything. But what got me was the writing. It's so smart, and it's so good. And first of all, it's a Ty West movie, and things actually happen in it. Which is been <laughs> but yeah, but this movie, I looked at once I watched it. I sat in the theater, and I'm I'm going to give a little give away a little too much of myself here. I uh, watched this a couple days after my 42nd birthday, and I was feeling super old. And I watched this movie, and it from the outside it looks like a regular slasher movie, but it is about the fear of losing your youth. And I was watching it, and I was shocked by how maturely that theme was utilized throughout it and the way it was dealt with and the metaphors that used it. And so I looked it up, and Ty West was 40 years old when he directed this movie. So we just watched Ty West's Midlife Crisis on screen. And it was super effective. X is an incredible movie. And I may be jumping the gun here a little bit, but I can't wait for Maxine. I can't wait for Maxine either. But I'll talk more about it later. As my number three is Terrifier 2. Ha <laughs> ha! Ty! Excellent! <laughs> this was better than Halloween Ends. Let's face it. If going oh, into this year, I would have told you Terrifier 2 would be way better than Halloween Ends, I would be kidding myself. Because I was expecting Halloween Ends to go with a bang and not a, with a whimper. But Terrify 2 just really picks up from the first film in terms of tone. It's just intense throughout. I thought the film had a better story than the first one as well. The fact that I think Damien Leone really does a good job with the screenplay. And the fact that he delivers probably an iconic final girl to go along with his iconic horror villain really makes this franchise interesting if Lauren LaVeya comes back for a third film because right there you got your Jason Voorhees and your final girl in the Terrifier franchise that was literally lacking in Terrifier where it was like Ot the Clown and two leads 
But anyway, the gore scenes are just great. The skinning alive scene is probably by far the most glorious scene since the hacksaw scene. It just goes over the top with the kill scenes and the fact that it's just unrelenting terror from start to finish. And this film was 138 minutes, everyone. I know, right? Usually, if you go over two hours, there's a slow period. This film never let up for that 138 minutes. It just goes to the credit of Damien Leone and the two main actors, David Howard Thornton and Lauren LaVeya, as both of them really worked well with each other to make that two hours and 18 minutes go by fast. It also, uh, you know, it's also the Cinderella story of the year because it was, it was made on $250,000. Most of that crowdsourced. Um, and it ends up on the same weekend that black Adam opened, which underperformed um, was number two that year, that weekend and made eventually made $11 million in the theaters. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, I was shocked because I really thought I knew they wanted to go theatrical with Terrifier 2. I thought they were just going way too ahead of themselves. Oh, it's not going to work. It's too extreme for a normal audience. But I was shocked when it just kept playing week after week after week in theaters. Literally. (laughs) My my favorite moment of the year that happened in a movie theater was when the headhunters over there and I went to see Terrifier 2, and there was a group of teenagers standing in the lobby who were obviously way too young to actually purchase movies to an R-rated, much less unrated movie, plotting to buy tickets to Black Adam and sneak into Terrifier 2. Like, I'm watching that, and I'm like, this is me when I was a kid. Like, this is beautiful. These are the kind of things that don't happen anymore. This is is old school, and that was my favorite moment of any moment that happened in a a movie theater last year. There are going to be kids out there between 9 and 18 that this will be their Nightmare on Elm Street. This will be their Jason Voorhees, Art, Art the Clown. I mean, it, 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 you know, this, this is one of those films that's going to endure uh, whether we like it or not in all its glorious gruesomeness. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's, I am so glad this movie came out when it did. Yeah. Another thing is it also helped relaunch what it seemed to be a dead horror streaming service in the way of Screenbox, too. Because Absolutely. you can see the film on Screenbox. I had never heard even... I'm a hardcore horror fan, and I didn't even know Screenbox was a thing until this movie came out. So this movie single-handedly brought Screenbox to a lot of people's attention. Oh, I've heard about it for a while. Back then, it was just a bunch of B-movies. Then I think uh, Bloody Disgusting and its subsidiary brought it and revamped it. And now you're seeing original films from them. I think they're also going to... I think they have the upcoming Life with Chucky documentary that's going to end up on their streaming service along with other 
films coming out. So keep your eye on Screenbox in 2023. Uh, most definitely. You can get Screenbox for an annual subscription of less than 30 bucks. I mean, come on. That, that, like, just get it. That's that's worth that's worth it. That's a bargain. It is. And they're actually putting out good content for the first time in its history. <laughs> it has to be better than what Tubi's releasing, even though I love Tubi. Oh, we've seen some good stuff on Tubi this year. Yeah, but, but their films, they, they released, like, I mean, I didn't even give them worst of the year because they're just bad, like Dark Shark Side of the Moon. I mean, that was just... Oh, come on. Nutcracker Massacre. <coughs> oh, you know. You know. <laughs> Kill, what was that? The Killer Tree movie? That was very good. <laughs> Terror Train remake? Uh, I didn't see the Terror Train remake. I actually heard good things about it. So, I don't know. So, Let's get to number two as we're getting way <laughs> off topic. Oh, well. You yeah, tend that, to do that. That's an occupational hazard on our show, so... Um, archivist bets on sexy witches or at the sexy witches if you're on Facebook. Anyway, um, number two. Okay, it was mentioned a couple times briefly. Uh, first of all, I, I want to say I actually am a fan of Get Out and Us. I like Get Out more than Us. But I think Jordan Peele has an amazing voice. But at that, that being said, I did, the trailer did nothing for me for Nope. Like, nothing. I watched it, and I didn't care about it. One afternoon, I was super, super sick. So I turned it on and watched it, and it cured me, basically. <laughs> I woke up and going, oh, my God, this movie's amazing. Um, so Nope is my number two and mainstream, and the biggest mainstream horror film for me of the year. Um, it is a horror film in the sense that it's a good old-fashioned creature feature. It's Jaws in the Sky, and I won't go into any spoilers, but because uh, if you haven't seen it, you got to see it just for it has literally the best kill of the year. In any film, and that includes Terrifier too. Like the kill in Nope was so surprising, and the way they execute that whole sequence is just oh, it, it, it sends goosebumps. I ended up watching the movie uh, on first um, two and a half times in a row um, to really get it, uh, get what it was doing, and. It has statements on on social media, statements on on celebrity culture, on filmmakers and their own self relenting self destruction, which I thought was actually a really cool take in a horror film, right? And all these things, and they mix it up, yet they make a good old fashioned like scare you. Oh God, monsters gonna eat me story. Um, I. I'm a huge proponent for this movie. I, I It hasn't left me since I've seen it. And I would say it is actually not only is it my one of my favorite horror films of the year, it's going to make my all-time top ten as well this year. All right, number two. Um, there were actually four stop-motion animation flicks that came out this year, all of them well worth watching. But there was one that just absolutely blew my mind. And that's a movie called Mad God. That one, it, it was a Shudder original, and it is currently streaming on Shudder. And if you haven't seen it, watch it. It is Phil Tippett's masterpiece. He's been working on it for 30 years. And if you don't know who Phil Tippett is, I, I don't know what to tell you. Like, his his effects pedigree is like, 
the original Star Wars trilogy and the RoboCop movies and Temple of Doom. Jurassic Park, man. Jurassic Park, Starship Troopers, like all kinds of amazing stuff. And it's amazing on a small screen, but we got to witness it on a big screen and it is like drove its way into my brain in ways a lot of movies haven't in a long time. It's disturbing, it's beautiful, it's meaningful, and this may come up in other lists later, but it has the number one thing I can say about a movie, and that is, I have never seen anything like this before. Mad God is a singularly unique movie. You've never seen the likes of it. You probably never will again. So watch Mad God, because it's amazing. And that's my number two. My number two is X. This film and my number one film, I'll just let it slip, are done by the same director. (laughs) It's like the first time I've ever had a list where my number one and number two are done by the same director and starred the same actress. Literally. I'll talk about the other film afterwards. But X, I think, was very good. It was very gritty. It had that late 70s Texas Chainsaw Massacre vibe to it. I liked the way this film was shot. It had really good performances from Mia Goth and Jenna Ortega. Pretty much the two main actresses in horror this year. Mia Goth really pulled off both performances as Maxine in the older version of Pearl. The screenplay does a really good job building the suspense. I like it also has the creepiest love scene you'll ever see involving Pearl. That was like I would I would say disturbing. Yeah, creepy and disturbing. That too. <laughs> Plus, it also had an excellent kill scene too, where she literally throws one of the characters into the waiting arms of an alligator. Has a very good haunting score from Tyler Bates and Chelsea Wolf, and I really like the way that Ty West really made this film, as this was different from all his other films. If you've seen his filmography, this is completely different from. The typical Ty West film, where it's more moving, more intense, and more methodical. But I'll talk more about Ty West in a bit. <laughs> Let's give a shout out to Brittany Snow also, I think, who gives one of the most underrated performances in a horror film this year. Brittany Snow is not known for doing horror, neither is Jenny Ortega, and they both shine in that movie. Yeah, Jenny Ortega was everywhere this year in the horror genre. Yeah, she was. <laughs> we, she's now influenced an entire generation of teenagers. Between that film, Scream 5. Yep. And then Wednesday, of Wednesday, course. Wednesday, of course. Yeah, she was on fire this year. So. so it was literally the year of her and Mia Goth. More or less. Both of them were really the breakout performances of this year. Yep. Let's move on to number one. 
Well, my number one was Nathan's number two, uh, Mad God. It's also, I'll just go ahead and say, it's my number one film of the year, period. I've been waiting for this film for literally 30 years because Phil Tibbet is from the San Francisco Bay Area. So I actually have never been lucky enough to meet Phil Tibbet, but I knew several of his assistants. Um, I remember one time they walked into my store and we just geeked out about Gattaca for like 20 minutes in the production art direction, just <laughs> like awesome. Uh, so, um, but Mad God is, 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 I'm so glad I got to see it in the theaters. I didn't expect to do that, but um, I'm not going to get into why it's so good because Nathan pretty much already nailed it. But I also want to give a shout out to Shudder for doing that special gulag with Mad God this year on Shudder. Yeah. Uh, that was so cool. Yeah, it was. And it was so like it. It, it, it was from the same. It was Phil didn't do that himself, but his studio did, and they, you know, it, it totally encompassed the film without actually giving anything away. Nothing can really give anything away in that movie. But um, it, it I, I'm really glad that that Shutter uh, doubled down and really, really embraced Mad God. So once again, hooray, Shutter! We love you. All right, all the way back in 2013. When the Son of Celluloid blog was at its height, I reviewed a movie called All Hallows' Eve. And in that review, I said that there was a character in the wraparound in that anthology that had the most ability to carry a franchise of any character created since the Firefly family. That character just happened to be Art the Clown. And I I called that one because... Terrifier 2, obviously the Cinderella story, the success story of the year. It was it was a throwback to a time where movies now, a lot of the times, horror movies like are trying to distance themselves from the label of horror and say we're above that. Or they're kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudging and saying, yeah, we're kind of below that. This was a throwback to the kind of movies you saw in the 80s and 90s. They're like, yes, we're horror. Yes, we're hardcore. Yes, we're going to you know, just embrace it. And just in summation, since just about everything about it's been said, I love the fact that I live in an era in cinema history where a gory as hell, almost two and a half hour long slasher flick can be the surprise success story of the year. It makes me so happy that that movie did so well. And I loved every minute of watching it. So my number one horror movie of the year is Terrifier 2. Yeah, it was amazing that it did so well. For a two and a half hour film, that would scare a lot of people. And it did scare a lot of people. (laughs) My number one film, like I said, when I gave my number two film, it was a Ty West film. It's Pearl. This is the film where I felt... Out of all the horror films released this year, it had everything down pat in filmmaking. This film first had great cinematography. I love the way this film looks with this Technicolor look as it really stands out a lot and really completely makes it different from X, where in X it's more grittier. This one felt like a demented Wizard of Oz, a demented Sound of Music. Now, the screenplay written by 
Ty West and Mia Goth does a great job with the way it focuses on the psychology of the main character, her troubled relationship with her mother, and the obsession of becoming a star, which also seemed to draw parallels to Maxine and X. I like how the dramatic scenes also had tension to them, as it really kept me glued as there's not a lot of killing going on in this film. As I think it might have a smaller body count than X. But what really makes this film great was Mia Goth. She really gives the performance of the year. She makes this character very charming. Very demented. Very psychotic. She also delivers a great 10 minute monologue scene. Which... Could have gone, could go on forever, and you'd still enjoy the scene. It's just she really dug into this character. You don't see that work in horror films. It, Can I say something about Mia Goth right quick? Yes. If you took only the closing shot of Pearl, not giving it no spoilers, if you only took the closing shot of Pearl and she wasn't in anything else, that would be the performance of the year. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> True, yeah. And also, what's the subject of memes, too, this holiday uh-huh. season? Yep. So, if you don't. So, that's a clue to the last shot of the film. <laughs> it, 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 I mean, it was a meme. Art the Clown was a meme. I mean, a lot of the films in our top 10s ended up being memes this year. Corey Cunningham was a meme. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Ty West is just amazing as a director. I have to admit, he doesn't do this slash him up gory gore fests, but he's literally done, I think, four great films in his career. The House on the Devil, The Sacrament, X, and Pearl. And it's just the way he directs Pearl just makes it great. He makes sure there's chemistry there. That dance audition scene was just great. The way he directed that monologue scene along with Mia Goth's performance really made that scene special. And also, I think the last scene of the film really was just priceless. I don't know why Ty West is not mentioned as a master of horror. Because he's done four great films. I know not many people have seen all four of those films. But they should check, try to check them out if they can. And that wraps up the top ten of 2022. Now, before we end this, what film are each of you looking forward to in 2023? Well, I know that both myself and Nathan are looking forward to February 24th. Which is Cocaine Bear. We're looking forward to that a lot. Um, there's a film I'm really looking forward to called The Last Voyage of the Demeter, which is about the second chapter in Dracula, um, where he's tra- being transported to England by the boat, which was always my favorite part of the story in, in the original book. And they finally made a feature of that sequence. And I'm looking forward to that. Um, 
Evil Dead Rise. Um, that's my most anticipated film of the year. I haven't met an Evil Dead movie I haven't liked yet. And I will always support Bruce Campbell in all his endeavors, whether he's in front of the camera or behind it. Anything else you want to add, Nathan? Um, Renfield looks like such a train wreck that I can't wait to see it. Infinity Pool, Brandon Cronenberg's new movie, looks great. That uh, Mia Goth stars in that, along with uh, Alexander Skarsgård. And as we know, she just absolutely is killing it right now. But I actually want to call somebody out right now. And, Anthony, if you tag him in this episode, I will be very happy. (laughs) Back around New Year's, I saw a post on Facebook by a man by the name of Scott Shermer. I know Scott. Yeah, I know him, too. Who directed Found and Harvest Lake and Plank Face and The Bad Man. A lot of good stuff. And he said, and I think he deleted it shortly after, if I'm not mistaken. This said his New Year's resolution was to direct a new movie. If that's true, that is my number one most anticipated film of the year. So, Scott, it's on you, dude. I was actually thinking about that the other day, seeing what he's been up to, because I haven't seen anything from him in a while. Mm -hmm. But that's good to know. And the last one was The Bad Man, and that was almost four years ago. He's never directed a bad flick, so if that's your New Year's resolution, dude, direct a new flick. I will totally call you out. Get Kickstarter, Indiegogo, anything. For me, definitely Renfield, because, well, it's Nicolas Cage being Nicolas Cage, (laughs) so I have to watch that. Anytime Nicolas Cage being Nicolas Cage, I'm there, for better or worse. Infinity Pool's another one I'm looking forward to. Brandon Cronenberg's latest film, Mia Goth and Alexander Skarsgård. Scream 6, I'm actually looking forward to. I didn't hate Scream 5. I actually thought it was all right. I saw it and I, as a double feature with 13 Fanboy, and that was surprisingly complimentary. Yeah. Screen 5 was good, but I'm interested to see what they're going to do when they go to New York City. (laughs) I hope they'll find Jason. New York City (laughs) is always a franchise's last stop before space. (laughs) At least we're not going to space with Scream. I hope not. Dude, I'd I'd watch the hell out of Scream in space. (laughs) (laughs) Don't, Don't lie, you would too. Yeah. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Jason X is probably Jason X is the greatest guilty pleasure film of all time. <laughs> I'm also looking forward to Evil Dead Rising. Really interested on the hype of that film, considering this was supposed to be on HBO Max. They got moved to theaters, so I'm very interested in that. And I know you mentioned the film. Earlier, that independent film, which was that found footage film that debuted in theaters this week. Skinnamarink. I'm also looking forward to seeing that film, Um, if it ever plays in my area. It's not a found footage movie, just so you know. Okay. Um, But it's shot on video cameras, a lot of it. 
So uh, just be prepared going in. It's not what you expect it's going to be. Well, then it's, again, not like, it's not like anything you've seen before. Yeah. Well, and, it, and, <laughs> I heard it, is it more like a David Lynch film? No. Well, it, it is like a David eh. Lynch film in the fact that you will spend hours after this movie trying to figure out what it meant, and after you sit with it for okay, I'll probably I'll probably I I do want to see that now. I said I said this to Elizabeth earlier because we went and saw it last night and with a bunch of friends and we were kind of yeah, what the hell did we just watched what was that you know and after sitting with it for 24 hours it all makes a little more sense and I, I now I kind of see the vision they were going with and it it kind of makes more sense and sits a lot well with me so Skin Marink is the cinematic equivalent of Creeper Weed <laughs> yeah just be patient with it because um, it, it does not hold its cards out for you to say at all um it's you know it's uh, so I I don't know how I'm gonna feel about Skinnerink down the road, but it definitely was just that it got a theatrical release is kind of amazing. And the fact so. that it really did well in its opening weekend too. It did. It did. That's wow. another. That's another film like I said with Terrifier two that I love that I live at a time in cinematic history where that got. A cinematic release at AMC, not at art house theaters, but at an AMC. Like the fact that that could get released that widely means good things for the future of cinema in general, not just horror cinema, but cinema in general. It's tough to get one of those films in my area, but fingers crossed. I know it's supposed to come to Shudder at some point, too. I wonder if that's going to yeah, get canceled. I, I don't think so, because it definitely is a, a, a... I mean, it had the big Shudder banner as it opened, so I have a feeling it'll be on Shudder sooner than later. Yeah, but I wonder if they'll push it back now, considering it made it's almost a million dollars. Yeah. I say uh, it, man. Push it back as far as I can go, because if enough people buy tickets to that movie... That means we're going to see more really weird horror flicks in theaters, and that's good for everyone. They did it, I think, with yeah. Terrifier 2, pushed it all the way back to Halloween on Screenbox. So, I wouldn't be surprised if that gets pushed back. Keep I, America strong. Watch a horror movie. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and then, of course, we also got to mention that M. Night Shyamalala Ling Long has a movie coming out, too. Uh, knock at the cabin, which is the first trailer of his that I've actually been interested in in a while. The Sorry. fact that there's been a tr the fact that there's been a trend of movies this year of filmmakers I don't like making movies I do like, like uh, Jordan Peele and Ty West. Um, that means I'm going to give M Night Shyamalan's new movie a shot. I'll give it a try. It's so, got Dave Bautista we'll in it. Mm-hmm. It does, and he's and he's been on a roll too. Yeah, so, he's uh, been on a roll. Yes. So. The army of the dead. He may, the, he may be the actor that came out of wrestling that has chosen his roles the smartest. I'll say that. Yes, I agree. Because with 
Dave Batista, at least he's trying to do serious work. The Rock's mm-hmm. just doing action flick after action flick. Well, if someone throws twelve million dollars at you for one movie, are you going to say no? Probably not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, The Rock's on a Disney contract. That's Disney money, so you know, <laughs> he's he, he doesn't matter what his movies are good or not. He's rolling. So. Mm-hmm. Did you hear how much he got for uh, Black Adam? No. It doesn't matter how much he got for Black Adam. Oh, okay. Okay. Sorry, okay. I had to had to steal a rock uh, catchphrase there. Go for uh, it. Uh huh. It didn't work, but okay. Okay, let's start <laughs> wrapping up. <laughs> let's go for it. Now, how can they find both you, you Elizabeth, and you, Nathan, on social media? Well, you can always find me on my personal profile, which is Elizabeth Catherine Gray, where I post everything from obituaries to history to horror. Um, on the on the line, I am Archivist Bits on Sexy Witches, which uh, Nathan is a co-host on, though he's got plenty of other podcasts he can talk about that he works with in a few moments. If you're looking on Facebook for that, it's at or on Twitter, it's at the Sexy Witches. Um, we also have a few groups online, um, the FB Film Geek Horror, which is a general horror group, the Rogues of Tossage Station, which is a science science fiction group, and the most popular Halloween Horror Movie Marathon Madness, a.k.a. The Madness, which is going on its 16th season. And uh, we do have a theme for next year's horror movie contest, but I'm not going to tell you that until April or May. Nathan? You can't find me. No. <laughs> I... Um... <laughs> I haven't been as active on social media lately, but if you look up Caught Dead Watching, that is one of my podcasts, which is currently on hiatus, that is soon to be resurrected. Or you can look me up at uh, Sell Your Soul, which is another one of my podcasts. That is not a horror movie podcast. That is where we review classic soul music. Uh, That is soon to be resurrected. Other than that, uh, friend me on Facebook. Why not? You'll see the once every couple of weeks I post. Well, I want to thank you, Elizabeth and Nathan, for coming on to my podcast. Oh, thank you for having me on. It was a on. pleasure, man. I, Absolutely. I'm always, I mean, we've known each other for so long, and so I'm so always willing to support my friends. And thank you so much for having me on again, and I hope we do this more often. Yeah, I have to, we'll have to have both of you back on again at some point. Well, have Sounds a good like day. Sounds to me, dude. Same here. Have a good day. All you right. Support Indy Hart. Yep. Keep America strong. Hi, I'm Anthony T. And I'm director Andrew Duran. And we are the Two Wrong And we're putting Rated R back into podcasting. Every month we will be dropping an episode on the Doc Discussions Network. We'll be chatting about some of our favorite films, news, reviews, and maybe interviews. You can find Two From Hell on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast providers. And don't forget to like us on Facebook and Instagram at Two From Hell Podcast. Trust me, you're seriously not going to want to miss the show. You'll find Anthony T's Power and Wrestling Show on these social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and the Slasher app at Anthony T's Power and Wrestling and on Twitter at Anthony T's Power.
Hour. To find new episodes on DocDiscussions.com, major podcast providers, and YouTube. Santi T watching this episode. Well, in the beginning of the episode, I told you I was reviewing the Amityville Horror. Yes, I have not seen the Amityville Horror up until this point. In fact, if it wasn't for the fact that VS released the Amityville Horror during my subscription to VS... I probably still would have not seen this film today. Seriously. As I probably would have gone another couple of years before I saw this film. In fact, if I wasn't reviewing VS titles this month, I probably would have continued to ignore this film. Because it's one of those films that really, well... It's a film that I'll check out whenever I want. Because... This also happened with The Omen. This also happened with The Exorcist with me. As I didn't see these films when I was 19, 20. It took me a long time to even get to these films. Hell, I didn't even see The Shining until I saw the movie Ready Player One. In which there was a scene where the characters were in the Overlook Hotel. In the game in that film. That got me interested in wanting to watch The Shining. So, basically, since I'm doing VS titles, I decided to finally watch the Amityville Horror for the first time. The original, people. Not the remake, everyone. Because there's a remake of this film, but we are talking about the original. The one that stars Margot Kidder... James Brolin, and Rod Steiger. And let me tell you, I enjoyed this film a lot. I thought this was a very good film. One of the things I really enjoyed about the Amityville Horror was the fact that this film was very creepy in tone throughout. Whether it's the way director Stuart Rosenberg directs the action scenes in this film to how he makes sure they have this creepy... Look, everything had this tone where it just felt like it was so chilling to watch. And then it was very good because literally it worked. He also does a great job directing the performances in this film. As there are some very good performances in this film. Including James Brolin, Margot Kidder, and Rod Steiger. All three of those people were great in this film. It's one of the reasons why this film is a classic, everyone. Because it has three strong performances to go along with its screenplay. When you have strong performances, especially in a horror film like this, where it deals with supernatural elements, it really helps the film a lot. And this is truly, I think, one of the better supernatural films of all time, quite frankly. As I really 
loved especially Rod Steiger's performance in this film, as he was just great. The screenplay written by Sandor Stern does a very good job with the way it keeps you on edge throughout. I like how he goes into the house history, or how he spends his time in the beginning getting to know the family, and little by little, things start happening mysteriously in the house. It really made it entertaining, and it really, I think, also helped with the way the tone of the film was, because this film had a creepy tone, a chilling tone throughout, and it was really due to a great screenwriting here that really helped set the tone for this film. He also makes sure that the dramatic scenes are very good as they keep you interested in this film. As there are some really good scenes, especially ones with Margot Kidder and James Brolin. The side plot with the priest, which is also another really good chunk of scenes as well which made this very interesting and really earned its two hour runtime. because let's face it this film clocks in at pretty much an hour 57 minutes close to two hours usually in horror films you want 90 minutes to 100 minutes but this is like almost two hours but this film really does a great job in its two hours in developing its characters, developing its action. And it really made this film a very haunting and chilling film. And I can see why the Amityville Horror is considered a classic film. And another thing that I really I liked a lot, which I am not sure that gets noticed a lot is the film's score. As the score really adds to this film. It really makes this film creepy. It helps enhance the supernatural elements that go on in this film. It really made for some chilling, tense moments. Sometimes the score is needed to enhance those moments. And when it's done very effectively in a supernatural horror film, it can make a good supernatural horror film a great supernatural horror film. And this film has a great score. By far, I really regret not seeing the Amityville horror earlier in my life because, quite frankly, this is a great horror film. This is a film that horror fans should see. Now, I may get some flack here, but I would put this film probably over The Exorcist. I know they kind of deal with both demonic beings, but this film has, I think, all the intangibles of a great horror film. And I really recommend if you are getting into the horror genre... Definitely check out the original Amityville Horror. The one that came out in 1979, a.k.a. my birth year. As this is how you make a great horror film. 
that pretty much wraps up the best of 2022. It was three pots this year, but it took about five weeks, but I've got to it. I hope you enjoyed these episodes. I think from now on, January, I'll be doing three episodes because I think it is a lot feasible. Plus, it separates things. Next episode, I will be giving my thoughts on the 2023 Royal Rumble. That will be up next episode and whatever else I can come up with. I could have a guest or more rants. With that, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. If you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast over on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and other major podcast providers. You also find the podcast on Film Arcade Media's YouTube channel at Film Arcade Media. With that, I want to thank you for listening. Have a good day. Support indie wrestling and support indie horror. This has been a Film Arcade Media production.